2: Hey everyone, we're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you after the show. From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal, Stories of Soccer Legends, Narrated by fellow Blue Wire host Brandon Kelly, each Monday two new episodes will take a look into some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that define their careers. From Holland, Zlatan, Messi, Rapino, and many more, each episode will focus in on the historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So stay tuned after the episode and listen to Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Where's the tackle? Welcome to the home of professional football, Canton, Ohio.
2: Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the College to Canton podcast, the perfect show for any and every college football and NFL fan. I'm your host, Travis May. If you're jumping in for the first time, College to Canton is a show where we talk about everything from college football recruiting to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We'll often look at things, you know, through a fantasy football lens, but we always dig into some real college and NFL analysis, too. If you joined us for our first three episodes, we kick things off with the NFL University series, diving to, into the debate as to what schools send the best playmakers to the NFL. But now it's time to move from college to the NFL. And the first step in that process is becoming a rookie. So for the first, you know, for the next two episodes, we'll be talking about some of the top rookies entering the NFL this year. And this week we'll be talking about top targets of ours in all fantasy football drafts and the players that we believe will have the best shot at future NFL success given their talent and immediate situation. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to you know dates recently but this is about the time that rookies would start reporting to to training camp and and uh, rookie hype season would be beginning and so really just want to tackle things as if it were normal and we weren't in the middle of a pandemic but uh, you know talk about some rookies that should be gaining some steam if we do see some kind of season here soon. And to help me tackle this topic and talk some rookie targets. I'm joined by a very special guest, Nick Whalen. That's at underscore Nick Whalen on Twitter. Don't forget the underscore in front there. He is a football coach and author of The Devi Report, The the Graduates, and most recently, The Dynasty Startup Publication. And Really, he's just been around. He's been a friend of mine for a long time. It was one of my very first guests on my very first podcast, so glad to have him on the show. Nick, thanks for joining me, man. It was cool because we talked off air just how long
3: ago we haven't been on a podcast together. So I'm I'm glad you brought me on. It, bringing up the underscore Nick Whalen thing, it, it, it's unfortunate. Is a Nick Whalen? <laughs> yeah, that hasn't been using Twitter for I think like 12 years or whatever. Yeah, he and, and I insane. can't get that handle back. So I I'm, I'm underscore for life, I guess.
2: Yeah, you know I I remember having that conversation with you. About the, the the name forever ago. I'm like, I feel like we you've been on Twitter long enough to have it, but somebody is just not letting you have the name back. You should you should probably file a grievance officially with Twitter. Make something happen. But really glad to have you on. Just talk some football, talk some rookies, and I know you and I have different processes when we uh, look at prospects. So really excited to disagree with you here uh, here shortly. I'm sure. But before we dive into the topic feel free to just share with our listeners who may or may not be familiar with all forms of fantasy football, uh, the the publications that you've been putting out and and what they do and what they're for.
3: Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess kind of first speaking to my lens, I mean, I I have a a coaching background. I mean, I've coached football for 10 years, both college as basically a grunt worker. Don't think I'm like an offensive coordinator at SEC school or anything, but like, (laughs) you know, learning there, learning high school. I mean, even right now I'm, I'm reading, uh, a book by Bill Walsh just cause he's just so amazing in terms of even organization and thought process. Like I just love that stuff. So, you know, I look at football through a film lens. I just love watching technique and how players move. And if they're processing information, like I I break it down that way. And there's some people that do numbers and I'm like, I don't get all the numbers all the time. Like, <laughs> I still, if you asked me to calculate Dominator rating, I couldn't do it, Travis, but like, that, that's the, that's the ones I look at stuff through just through film. So, yeah. you know, I, I made uh, I don't know. I must've been like six years ago. Now I made the Debbie report, which I'm not finished with. That's uh, my summer project. So that's basically any college prospect, including guys that just signed uh, that, you know, is relevant. I made that into a publication rankings, you know, film, uh, analysis that stuff which and is then, great
2: I love it I, I've, I've been you know getting the Debbie report all the time it's, it's you know how many players do you you generally break out, break down like what a few hundred different college players pretty in-depth too
3: right right it's probably around 200 yeah
2: yeah that's a, it's it's a lot of fun so definitely check out the, the Debbie report but you recently started adding I see you did the, the graduates and then the dynasty startup here back in May and that's really more like that's all kind of Rookie focused and kind of like fantasy startup focused and things like that.
3: Right? Yes, yeah. So the graduates is just like they're graduating from my dev report into the NFL. And it's like, well, you know, if I've studied film, like like each year i study new film. So like, you know, Jonathan Taylor, like high school tape, freshman tape, sophomore. He was like, why don't I just wrap yeah. it up into a bow and then deliver <laughs> product? So that's the graduates. And then dynasty startup actually was just an idea someone gave me, and it just makes sense. Is like what my process is. For getting ready for a dynasty startup draft, like everything that I do, my thought processes i mean you know what you know things go wrong all the time. it's like okay, I need to reshift my gears, you know these picks are available, how I prep it's so kind of like how I prep during and even after, and it's uh yeah, it' was a twenty two page thing I put together i've I've gotten some good feedback on it, and I just think that sometimes we we have faults in our processes. And I love strategy so much. I love chess. I, that's why I love the X's and O's of football. So like, yeah. that's the same thing in a startup. And I, and I just put it together. So yeah, I, I think people are having fun with it.
2: Well, good, man. Yeah. It, and dynasty startups like dynasty fantasy football is, is become, you know, my favorite way to play and, and just digging into rookies every year so far in depth and really the Debbie side and in college, college players digging into that further and further. So listeners, if you're not in a dynasty fantasy football league, maybe you don't even play your office redraft league, check out some some fun dynasty content because that's where you're going to find the most in-depth rookie takes, the most most in-depth nerds like me and Nick that just just love this stuff and uh, dive headfirst and and just swim around year round in all of this this information but really just gonna have fun with this top rookie targets uh, topic this week just because I I feel like everything is more fun when you rank it or draft it or something like that so I think what we're gonna do is we're going to draft our top rookie targets and you know if you play in, in any dynasty formats or you play in any kind of fantasy league you you might think of you know most rankings lists in a best player first scenario this isn't like a you know the first player is necessarily who we have highest on our uh, rookie board it's just who we would take who we think is uh, probably the best value um, in terms of uh, our rank versus where a consensus might be on an in- uh, incoming rookie and so we're going to dive into some of these top players but before we do want to take a moment for this week's ffpc stat attack Uh, Having to do with rookies, since 2014, when the rookie renaissance began with that incredible group of wide receivers back in 2014 with, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. and Mike Evans and that whole crew, Devontae Adams, all those rookies, there have been 123 rookies to put up at least 100 PPR fantasy points in their first NFL season. That's exactly 48 running backs and 48 wide receivers. I thought that was kind of crazy. And then 19 Hmm. quarterbacks and eight tight ends. That's essentially eight running backs and eight wide receivers every year that are going to post about a hundred fantasy points for you in standard PPR formats. Three quarterbacks and even one rookie tight end a year. Typically, we see post some pretty significant production. Uh, in the NFL right away. And that's why we're talking rookies today, because I feel like in many ways we're seeing rookies produce at a faster clip uh, just right away. It, you know, it may be we have to wait till week five or week six to really see them break out. But I think of players like AJ Brown last year that absolutely exploded. We're seeing that more and more in today's NFL. So starting off with you, first pick in the top rookie targets, you know, rookie hype season, whatever you want to call it, draft. Who are you going to take, Nick? Yeah, well, I
3: just want to speak real quick to uh, that's a that's a great stat. I think one of the reasons that we're seeing more developed college, you know, skill players is because there's so many more of like these passing leagues for high schools and colleges evolved in such a a better passing game, and and even we're taking you know the Cliff Kingsbury's et cetera because they have better concepts. (laughs) Yeah, I think that just football's evolving in a way that's making them more finished products instead of having to wait three or four years like how it used to be a long time so yeah um, no i that's,
2: mean that's a, that's a great point just all the different camps i'm sure you're involved in that with with uh with coaching and everything but i think about you know the elite 11 uh with the quarterbacks that, that just happened in nashville just a few weeks back you know some of the top high school kids coming through just to put basically they have to run through this kind of timed you know, you got to make all these throws in the right order and you got to be accurate. And then you have different types of throws. And, and it's just kids have to be challenged. And they are at a, like as freshmen. Like, it's crazy. Like, you know, 14 year old, 15 year old kids having offers and, you know, having professionals coach them up and stuff from a very young age. It's really changed the game. And next year's recruiting class for quarterbacks coming into college is going to be probably the best quarterback class I've ever seen in, in history. Uh, it's going to be interesting as as the NFL continues to trend towards passing more and more, we're going to see wide receivers specifically make an impact right away. So, but yeah, back to the the pick though, H- who would be your first pick here, Nick?
3: Right. Yeah. So I, I like T Higgins um, a lot. I mean, I I had him as, you know, in that graduates you talked about. So I I do a pre-draft version of that, and then I send out a post-draft update. So he was my number four wide receiver pre and post. I was really high in him. And obviously, he was a guy that flashed early at Clemson and then got overshadowed a little bit by Justin Ross. But this last year, we really saw that he was the better player. Ross had a really good run in some playoff games there. But Higgins is just such a well-rounded player that, I think people don't give him credit. I mean, he's big, you know, he wins, you know, with jump balls and can and uses his size. Well, but he really knows how to attack defenders. And I love that with his routes for a big guy, you know, you're like, okay, you just win because you're big, but he wins in all these other ways. And one thing I really like is he trained with Joe Burrow pre-draft. Like if you wanted to build that connection, you know, and that's the big thing that like you, you want to, you know, be getting him desserts and you know, open up his car door and you know, everything because <laughs> yeah. you want the targets and he's working yeah. with them already. He's got that rapport. You know AJ Green's out there long term. You know, you know, probably John Ross isn't. Tyler Boyd, he did sign a deal, but he only has four point two guaranteed after this year. So so there's a real shot that Higgins is the guy. And if you want the most, you know, historical quarterback season ever last year, tied to a really good young receiver, which that's why they got him early second round. That wasn't a wasted pick. That there's a meaning behind that. You know, I think that's that's something to hit your whack into.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a guy that just barely missed out on that first-round draft capital. Like, let's just say he was picked one, two, three f- picks earlier. I think there would be even greater hype surrounding T. Higgins. And this kid, I mean, ever since he was probably, what, junior in high school, has been like, oh, this kid's going pro. Like, just no-brainer. Like, he was a five-star wide receiver coming out of high school. Absolutely no-brainer, no, no brainer, just killer uh, just jump ball, deep ball tracking as a true freshman was just incredible. And that was about the only thing they asked him to do early on in his Clemson career was kind of go chase it deep every once in a while. Didn't have a huge, huge freshman, like true freshman season. But man, he blew up in the, in the two years that followed. So having Joe Burrow, who just went through 60, literally 60 passing touchdowns last fall in college, be his quarterback, looks like uh, the right start pairing him and Joe Burrow throughout their entire rookie contracts that's that's gonna be a lot of fun as far as fantasy football goes in terms of real dynasty drafts going on this summer since the nfl draft t higgins is actually being drafted as the wide receiver 41 which for an early second round draft pick that's that's kind of weird i feel like most classes like even like even when like Will, will fuller dropped really late Um, when he came out he was actually technically a first round pick in the NFL draft but he went kind of later in in kind of rookie drafts for dynasty purposes and things he was you know projected to be a a maybe non-immediate impact guy and you know he's he's worked out when he's been healthy but Higgins is is going way later than you typically see a, a player with that similar draft capital go so I think he's just a value. I really like the pick here. Uh he doesn't we don't really know what his peak athleticism score would have been because he didn't really test at the combine, but man, when you watch him play, it's just a no-brainer. Like it's he he is the heir to AJ Green in that offense. I uh, just can't wait to see that continue to grow. Now I I think we're going to disagree. We kind of agreed on that first one. Amazing value there. I think we're going to disagree. Maybe more the more so than than on any other player in this top rookie target draft. It really it's it's going to be Antonio Gibson coming out of Memphis. You know, went the JUCO route, only had one season in in college Division one where he did anything, and he only had seventy seven touches from scrimmage in his entire career, but. You know, he's drafted. He gets that day two draft capital. He's going to the Washington football franchise. Who knows if they'll have a a name by the time this podcast drops. Not really sure what they're going to be called. But he ran a 439.40 at like 230 pounds. Like people love that size adjusted speed. People love, you know, that, that crazy big bodied. Re- receiver slash running back who, who can just dominate and looks like when he steps right on, on the football field, he just looks like he could be the best player on the field, whether it's true or not. I mean, he averaged 19 yards per reception, 11.2 yards per carry, 11.2 yards per carry. It's not very many carries, but he did. And overall, 15.6 yards per touch. And an insane 18% of his touches went for touchdowns. He, he's a weird prospect. Cause when you think about 77 touches, in his entire Division One collegiate career, there would basically be nobody in recent history that's done that, right? I mean, I think you were talking about that recently on Twitter. I, I like the value because he's going as like running back 38 in terms of overall drafts. I think that's a pretty solid, especially for a day two running back, that's pretty solid value. And he's in a situation where, you know, he has Darius Geis, who hasn't stayed healthy, and Adrian Peterson, who is, I think, 98 years old. So there's, there's a path to to touches. I know you're not very high on guys either. So why do you not like Gibson very much?
3: Yeah, there's quite a few. So yeah, the, the stat I put on Twitter was since 2000 and, and I just didn't feel like researching any further back than this. So I mean, that's 20 years, which is crazy. We're getting old. Yeah. Only one running back, Travis, has had less than 250 career college touches. And again, there, there's running backs that get their JUCOs. That's drafted in the top three rounds, which is, you know, Gibson was the third round pick. That was under 250 touches. That was CGA process at 229 touches. Every other running back is significantly more than that. And and Gibson had like a third of that at 77. So it's like <laughs> the biggest outlier. You know, they're, they're, they're reaching on the potential. As I said, you know, you had talked about there's 33 carries that he had in college. Um, that was fourth for among all running backs last year at Memphis in carries. Um, you know, yeah. and I know you know you talked about how crazy these efficiency numbers are. Well, that's obviously with a small sample size, but absolutely. Yeah. You know, if he was this amazing talent, if he was this amazing, you know, obviously he's thick. You know, he has some size and speed, but they would have given him touches like like me as a coach. Okay, I see this guy. You know, look at him. He's fast. The weight room. He's big. He does all these great things. I would. I would be feeding him all game long. And to me, that, that's a little telling. And then when I watched the tape, he really got lucky. I mean, there's a, a bad defense. I mean, SMU had the 28th worst defense. He had 26% of his total yardage in that game. They, no one wanted to tackle him. I saw literally there's one where he had this long touchdown run where a safety tripped on another safety. One fell down, tripped the other. like Like, you see a yeah. lot of that. And I'm like, is he that good? Or <laughs> is it just like, cool plays, bro? Like, I just don't see <laughs> him like... You know, there's a couple things where I saw him stem at a DB one time. Like, okay, that's a good play. But he has tight hips. And the Washington has the 29th ranked O-line per PFF going into the next year. So that's a bad situation. Is he going to play slot receiver, which he played a lot at Memphis? Is he going to play running back? Like, I don't even know what he's going to play. You are asking him to develop from a position he didn't play in college to a better league. To me, it's just so many things against him. I'm just like, I, it's a bad bet.
2: Yeah, and I think if his price was any higher, as far as like fantasy football goes, and even in like with redraft leagues, like just single year fantasy leagues, he's really not going that early. And even in dynasty, where people way overvalue youth, uh, he's still not going super high. So I think that's where I find the value. And I think a lot of people, because of what you just said, We'll just kind of not assume much because they see, oh, Adrian Peterson's still there. That's a name I know. Darius Geis, he was a second round back. He's he, you know, he posted those pictures. He's really ripped this this season. He's <laughs> he's gonna keep the job now, and he might, you know, he might, and actually finally pan out for for Geis. But it, this just seems like the perfect storm for a player like this to come in and find some kind of role immediately whether it is kind of like a hybrid role right away where he is that slot receiver big-bodied guy slash running back like he was in the Mike Norvell offense at Memphis or you know he actually comes in and is kind of like the big body scoring back once they get in close just because he's 230 pounds and and healthy but well, I, I don't and, know. And now they don't have Kelvin Harmon which just happened at the yeah DCL.
3: so that, that, that increases you know that's you know yeah
2: a, yeah a you know, who, who knows? I I think, and I think Steven Sims is probably going to be their their slot guy. He really killed it down the stretch last year, so he he's probably the dude in the slot. But I mean Antonio Gibson, he was really a wide receiver prospect. You know, he, he kind of converted to to running back, and they're like, oh, he's actually kind of a monster. We should maybe check this out, uh, especially when Memphis was actually working with their only other main back that was healthy for most of the year was Kenneth Gainwell who's like 190 pounds soaking wet so they needed some kind of change of pace to to, you know add 40 pounds and then be a bruiser every once in a while that could just take the ball 11 yards per carry it it is kind of weird because he is he would be a major outlier and we might start to see a a higher clip of of players like him come out and, and pan out because of the the easier transfer rules have kind of changed the game uh, as far as it didn't change the Juco game as much, but you know, the route he took, but we just haven't really seen many transfer backs pan out. It's just so hard for a transfer back to work out. I actually wrote, wrote that up uh, this spring and just outlined how few transfer backs actually work out. Like since 2010, there've only been four before this year transfer backs. That is of any kind, Juco, uh, even power five to power five, anything that, that earned day two capital or better in the NFL draft. And I mean, that's like Daniel Thomas, Alex Green, Charles Sims. He was he was kind of a thing for a second. And then Alvin Kamara, the only hit among the bunch. And so Antonio Gibson and Keyshawn Vaughn both this year were transfers that that worked out from a draft capital standpoint, both in, in seemingly interesting uh, situations where they could have a, a greater role in. Uh, right away uh, but man I, his raw just athleticism and ability is just too intriguing for me to avoid you know past pick 100 in a dynasty startup draft that's that's my thing but uh, he's just a strange player to assess but I'm I'm all for rooting for a guy like that working out yeah I mean, there's a lot of guys that have, that have
3: tried been five stars and, and went one place and went another and then didn't really work out you know yeah. uh, I'm, I'm thinking back I'm trying to think of did um with Lake Seastrunk transferred or was it? Or was he did, it but he didn't actually
2: end up seeing like the the capital. But yeah, he was like yeah. a big deal back in the day. Right. And then after the transfer, then- I mean, you have to reestablish yourself. You come in, how hard is it to just like, it doesn't matter. I don't care what your stars like. You get to your new program. I don't care how many stars you had in high school. This is our program. You know, you got to come in and then establish yourself as the alpha in like one year or max two most of the time, like when you come in as a transfer. It's hard to do. Even Alvin Kamara couldn't do it. I mean, he had Jalen Hurd to compete with, but he was a five star kid. I talked about this before in another podcast, but he went to Alabama, came to UT, still had to earn his stripes, and still didn't have a very significant workload. Uh, but it worked out, and he's an amazing player. I think if, if anybody is going to do that uh, in this class that with a weird, atypical rise to glory, it will be Antonio Gibson. But you know. You, you know who he kind of reminds me the most of? I mean, just talking about like
3: – like because he's like a weapon more than he's a running back, for just being honest. Yeah. is um, He reminds me the same Juco route, the same state, Cordell Patterson. He's like this like yeah. thick like, athletic guy. Patterson was way better in terms of agility, and I think Patterson was the best make-you-miss in the open field player I've ever seen in college.
2: Yeah, but just same thing, like
3: can't define a position. You just try to get him the ball raw. But they're athletic. But there's not a lot of data. I mean, Patterson only played one year at Tennessee before he came out. So, really, that, that that's how you have to think about it. So, it's like, could they hit? Sure. I mean, Patterson didn't even hit. hit. Like, <laughs> he should have been a running back. He, yeah, <laughs> he should have played running back. You're right. You know? But that's kind of what, what I think of. So,
2: yeah. No, I like it. I like that. Well, moving on to pick three, uh, you're up here uh, in the uh, top rookie target, rookie hype draft, or the, the, the far too long title draft, whatever it is uh who's who's your pick here yeah uh
3: Denzel Mims gosh I like Denzel Mims film a ton
2: you know one of those guys where you're like
3: ah you have these preconceived notions it's one of the issues with film by the way is this bias and I was like I'm not gonna like him and then I watched him like oh my gosh I like this guy yeah and he's my my number three wide receiver pre-draft and my wow. post-draft because he fell and some of the guys jumped up I'm like okay in terms of opportunity I moved him down to six but he coordinates his feet with his hands so well with his route running he creates separation for a big guy i'm like wow he's just so smooth and i mean you saw the times in the combine but it applies to the field he's really athletic you know he'll stack defenders on vertical stems so like he, he understands what's going to get him more separation and help him out you know, there's things he could get better at. I think in terms of effort and things there. But then you look at the situation. So, okay, Gaze, we don't like him. Like, like he's probably going to be gone. We're thinking, you never know. <laughs> I, I'm not a Darnold fan, okay, but he's young. There's potential there. But look at Crowder. Crowder's like eating there because no one else can eat. I like Perryman actually as a decent play. But there's alpha. There's no alpha at tight end either. Levi Bell's probably going to get cut after the year. There's opportunity galore there. So. So get Mims, stash him for a year, and then boom, year two, I think it could be a huge breakout.
2: Yeah, I, I like that too. I mean, Jameson Crowder had like 120 targets, which is just insane to think about. But after that, I mean, they just let Robbie Anderson walk, and that was another 100 targets. And so uh, outside of that, I mean, the th- the third le- leading target last year was actually the the zombie version of Demaryius Thomas. And so they they don't have very many proven uh, options there and I really did like mems he had an interesting career it, it's just a weird time to play for Baylor like in the middle of his career they're just like hey we're gonna go 1-11 sorry and so it's just <laughs> that would have been so frustrating but the way that he you know actually chose to come back kind of fight through and have a really he had a really great senior bowl season as well really showcasing how well he can be physical and win in man-to-man situations I was like okay he's gonna gain some steam and then when the combine happened I was like okay yeah, he's going to be like a, he's he just locked in day two status. And when that happened, showed up on the Jets now, uh, in in a situation where he could easily have hundred targets in year one. I, I like that. I like that value here quite a bit. And he just checks so many boxes from a film standpoint. I mean, you outlined everything i i would I would outline from a film standpoint. But as far as just an adjusted production index standpoint, which is one of the metrics that we like at at Rotovis we love the you know our yards per team pass attempt numbers our our dominator rating you know can these guys handle being the alpha on an offense can these guys handle that role and be efficient at the same time can they score at a high clip while maintaining that efficiency at the same time and he showed that out Uh, in in fact when we look at drafted NFL wide receivers Denzel Mims in in terms of his overall production profile uh, really tests out as around the 70th percentile which is easily in the hit range. Like if you if you're in like the 70th, 80th, 90th percentile in terms of adjusted production index, and then you get day two draft capital, you're, you're in a, you're in a cohort of wide receivers that essentially hits 75 percent of the time or more in terms of landing a, a top 24 uh, NFL season for wide receivers at some point in the first three years of your career. So I, I, I see that in the cards for him. I see a wide receiver two season maybe after his second year bump. Probably not going to be happening in, in year one. The way things are, rookies not getting the same reps coming into the season. It's just going to be weird, whatever the season looks like for rookies. But, man, I like Mims quite a bit. But my, my pick here after Mims is actually Jalen Rager, another player that meets every adjusted production index threshold you want to see, broke out as soon as you really could uh, for kind of a bad TCU offense. He, he had to deal with six different quarterbacks, but still found a way. To produce six different bad quarterbacks for the most part, <laughs> and like and in, in, in his final season he had to deal with a true freshman tossing the in the ball. The way that he was able to produce as a returner, uh, as the the alpha in that offense, uh, it's just had a really great combine showing his burst. Didn't run the forty a lot of people thought he he was going to, but still, man, he he can be anything that the Eagles want him to be. That and he might not have to be an every down wide receiver in his first season, but I ex- I would expect by the end of you know, maybe maybe mid part of this year, he's going to have a real role. Uh, are, are you a big Rager fan?
3: Yeah, no, I am. Because to me, I know, you know, you were talking about a lot of numbers there with, with Mims. And, and to me, I'm just like, OK, give me that, Travis. Like, I'm just absorbing that because like, I have no clue. But like <laughs> to me, what matters a lot is effort. I want to see effort on the field because. To me, there's two different things and, and people that, that know me, I guess, you know, I'm currently wearing a Spartan shirt. I do a lot of running and racing and, and, I, and I read because I always want to, I want to get better. So there's this book right now I'm reading called How Bad Do You It" by Matt Fitzgerald. It's a running book and it talks about two different things. Like one, there's like this like talent or athleticism or threshold that people have, you know, think of the combine. And then there's how far do you, do you reach that level? You could say per play, per game, per race, whatever it is. Sometimes people have like an off game, an off play, et cetera, but- how hard you work to get there even if you're not feeling well you got a bump ankle you know it's a good opponent whatever raker his effort level is so top-notch like that kid he kind of reminds me of steve smith he's got this chip on his shoulder that kid wants it and to me that's huge because we talk about like heart and how you can't measure that stuff it's the same thing it's it's this it's this effort level you know you think of like mental toughness it's all in the same category and that i think. Is something that we need to pay more attention to because that's that's what separates the Jalen Ragers from the Dorial Greenbacks. Absolutely, and you know, and 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 I think and it's tough for me to see a scenario where Rager doesn't. He's not at least a good NFL player. Maybe he won't be amazing in fantasy, but like a minimum of a good NFL player because he can do so much on the field. You know, reverses, short passes, deep passes, everything in that offense. Like it just is a good, good situation for him.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I just really like it long term for him to come in. Uh, you know, maybe Deshaun Jackson, who's not been, you know, making good headlines here recently, maybe he kind of keeps Rager down from having that field stretcher role right away. But I think by he's going to be that, that guy that year two is a huge bump. Uh, and he's also one of those guys that. If it were normal rookie hype season, and he was in camp, he would just be annihilating some d- defensive backs and one on ones, and everyone would be drooling over Jalen Rager. He's that kind of guy, and he, you know, he'd be he'd be trash talking like with the beat. Like we'd get some fun fun quotes from him. You know, it's, I just I wish it was normal because Rager is just that. He's full of fire. He I, I just well, can't well, wait to see him play.
3: But it's a good thing right now that we don't get those. So you can trade for him because those guys are coming out.
2: Exactly, you know? exactly. So go. If you're in, in dynasty leagues, trade for him, go after Jalen Rager. Another guy I think would definitely be a target of yours here, pick five in the draft is, is maybe not that exact same kind of player, but definitely somebody I, I'm all over targeting for having a solid NFL career.
3: Right, yeah. And that, that, that's Michael Pittman. So, a guy, I mean, you know, I talk about that Devry report that I made. He was high on my list early at USC, never really happened. and And honestly, Travis, it's one of those things where I was like, man, am I like imagining stuff on film? Like, you know, am I not seeing things right? You know, because it happens. You know, I've had my bad ones. You know, I was huge on Trent Irwin. It didn't pan out. So you always like want to go back to your process. And then he hit. And I was like, here we go. This is what I saw. And not finally, you know, came to fruition. And um, I mean, he's big. You know, he wins big. But the thing that I love the most about Pittman is he moves in ways on the field that big guys shouldn't move. His effort, which I already talked about how I love that athleticism and flexibility like i almost want to call him a poor Cortland sutton and people know you know that's important because you know it all comes down he still has the size to lean back on besides all the other stuff in the in the separation so there's some things he can improve on but you know even effort after the catch is surprising for a big guy like he wants more yards and he gets them and then you go back to that you know oh and the route running i think people don't give him credit he sells down in zones he's smart about it uses his hands well you know, in terms of route running. So there's a lot to his game, which he can, you know, shore up, but here's something super telling Travis that people don't talk about. Jonathan Taylor went to the Colts and people love that pick. I do too. Okay. I'm a big Taylor fan. I think sometimes he's underrated. The Colts picked Pittman before Taylor. They (laughs) made the decision. They're like, Hey, We have to have Michael Pittman on our team. There's an opportunity. We might not get Jonathan Taylor's own next pick, but we're willing to chance that because they wanted Pittman that bad. And I do not believe in Paris Campbell. I never did. Sorry, people, if you did. That guy is an athlete. He's not a receiver. He can catch screens. It's about all he can do. Pittman has an opportunity with, you know, Hilton, last legs, Jack Doyle, last legs, to be the guy very soon there. And they made that decision, too. So I, I think it's a really good opportunity to get him cheap right now.
2: Absolutely, and he's he's a guy who's got the bloodlines. See, I mean, I was I was a big Pittman fan for a long time. His dad was a running back uh, for the. I think. I mean, what he started out mostly with the Buccaneers early two thousands. Remember those arms
3: he had, Travis? Yeah, dude. Oh my gosh, so jacked
2: <laughs> he was. Yeah, it, he was like uh, back in the day. It was like him and David Boston both around the same time. They were just completely jacked. David Boston at wide receiver, and Michael Pittman at, at running back. But yeah, but yeah, Pittman Jr. I mean, he he just. I like him. And Frank Reich, I don't know if you've seen the videos of Frank Reich talking about Michael Pittman. Even before the combine, he's like, this kid, this is it. He just gets it. Like, this is my dude. Like, he knew in February. He's like, we're drafting this kid. And they did. So that even more so just makes him an automatic buy. The coaching staff, absolutely bonkers for this kid. And he's got the pedigree. He's got the explosive final season once he was finally healthy. I actually dug into the context surrounding why he he broke out late. He was just always injured uh, early on in his career and had one thing go wrong after the other, uh, but finally put it together in a huge way. Almost went thirteen hundred yards last year for for USC. So and and that's on on a team with at least one, if not two or three, other really good future NFL wide receivers on his team. So just can't speak enough to the potential that is behind. Pittman on the Colts uh, and really making an immediate impact uh, with uh, whatever we get left from Phillip Rivers. But another Colt that I, I, I really like, we just talked about him, Jonathan Taylor, is my pick here, the sixth, sixth pick in the too-long-to-name draft that we're doing here for rookies. I mean, when you, when you just put him down on paper, it's just just ridiculous. The most yards from scrimmage per game in NCAA, NCAA Division One history, most yards from scrimmage per game. Like, any running back. Like, that's insane when you think about how how he was able to dominate. Yes, I mean, it was Wisconsin. Yes, they like to feed their, their running backs. But, man, he, he was still efficient, and he actually, in his final season, put together a nice receiving profile. Some people are concerned about a committee. Really? Are we concerned? I mean, like, Marlon Mack... I mean, I like Marlon Mack, but he's going to be an unrestricted free agent next year, along with 50 other backs. Naheem Hines is like a, you know, he was a good college player for NC State. I liked him; he was fun, but he's not. He's really he's a really small day three talent. You know, that's what that's what he is. So you bring in a guy who's like, you know, he runs like one of the best size adjusted 40s. Period out there. I think it, what he was a 4'4 guy, 4'4 ish guy, at like 230 ish pounds. I don't have any questions. He's got the speed, he's got the size, he's got the strength, he's got the vision, he's got the the receiving ability, he's got everything. And then they take him to start round two, saying, hey, we want this guy to to be our backfield. That's that kind of range when you take a back in that range. And, and so that's, especially in today's NFL, where we're not seeing as many backs go early, Jonathan Taylor is the best running back in this class, the best rookie in this class, period. And yet he's still like valued as like the, what the RB10 or something like that and, and uh, dynasty which is crazy to me because the, the shelf life on running backs these days is insane like and most of these guys are going to be in the free agency pool next year like it's it's seriously like a dozen current starters that are going to be in the free agency pool next year jonathan taylor is about as safe as it gets i mean is there is there anything that you see on film that you don't like from taylor no i mean, I mean he he's not perfect but like he i think he's and it's weird i think he's
3: almost underrated because he was hyped for so long but you know, you you had talked about, you know, a lot of his game. The one thing I want to touch on is, so, you know, I live in Madison. I'm here. That offensive line and system, it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's good. It's not as dominant as, as it used to be. People think about, you know, Gordon had better holes to run through than Taylor did. He sifts through traffic really well. And you think of going to a situation, the Colts have some pretty good offensive linemen there that makes it similar. And then the other thing I wanted to touch on was, so I talked about Pittman going before him and that's important. The other thing that's important here, too, is when teams trade up in the early rounds, you really need to pay attention to those picks. And those picks normally hit at a better rate, too, by the way. Yeah. They traded back up to make sure they got Taylor. And to me, I'm like, I got to pay attention to this.
0: Yeah,
2: absolutely. Really, I I love the pick. Really, both the Colts. And I hate it because I'm a Titans fan. but. Both those players, I feel like, are going to be long-term uh, good pros for a long time. But before we go on the back half of this draft and wrap things up, just uh, a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Get in on the action for this week's big UFC fight, or check out odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back. BetOnline has futures, odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and and even NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Hello, folks. Colm Kelly here from RotoViz Overtime, a podcast I host along with
3: Sean Siegel. And in just a little moment, we'll jump straight into the podcast. Before we do so, I want to let you know as a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% of a RotoViz NFL pass right now on the RotoViz.com website. It gives you access to all of our content and tools and sets you up perfect for the NFL season. All you have to do is add the code 2020RVRadio at checkout or by going to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. And of course, while you're listening to the podcast on the network, helps us out a lot if you can write and review on your favorite podcast app. I really do appreciate that. As I mentioned at the start, of His Overtime with Sean Siegel twice a week. If you
2: haven't already checked it out, be sure to do so after this show. But let's get straight into it. Enjoy the podcast. All right, Nick. So to bring it down the back half here, I'm going to spend a little bit less time on these guys. We're maybe a little bit less sure of ourselves on these picks down the stretch. But Nick, who is pick seven for you?
3: Uh, I'm gonna go with Brandon Ayuk. I, I think he is going under the radar because people don't know as much about him. He's another JUCO guy, yeah. but I think he's just a better player than people think. I mean, he runs better routes. He's got springy athleticism both before and after the reception. He's similar to Debo. Similar, they can do reverses. Oh, they yeah. can big threats after the reception. And the biggest issue out of college for Debo was an injury history, broke his leg, multiple other injuries. And now he's hurt again. And that gives more opportunity for, for Brandon here to get more value right away. And I just see both of them thrive. And we saw Manny Sanders thrive. You know, I think there's opportunity there The 49ers aren't always going to be up by 21 points every game. They're going to have to throw. And, and, and I just think people aren't giving him enough credit. So I think he's going under the radar.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think more and more like like I said kind of with with Gibson, we're going to see more of these transfers hit in in a bigger way than we ever have before because uh, the one-time transfer being up for vote uh, up for vote next year. If you're not familiar with NCAA rules, it's been kind of weird to transfer. Like when you transfer uh, just from like Division One to Division One program, you don't automatic- automatically just get to play that first year. In many cases, you have to sit out an entire year, which is just a killer and has been for a long time. Uh, so players have been able to transfer, but with it being easier, per- perhaps more than ever, to gain immediate eligibility, uh, we're going to see perhaps an uptick in that. We've already seen more transfers with the uh, quote-unquote transfer portal, which uh, players can hop into and uh, transport themselves to another program if they'd like to do that. Uh, but IU actually, you know, he went the JUCO route, and uh, I think he just came out of nowhere because, you know, he was competing with Harry last year, so he wasn't automatically the alpha. Not, well, year before last, huge opportunity last fall to make a huge impact right away and he did he took advantage of it and was the guy uh, with it with a true freshman quarterback at the helm and succeeded anyway Uh, so I really like Brandon Ayuk I think we're going to see more and more players like him uh, like that shifty Debo type that can stretch the field as well so I I really am a huge fan of Ayuk but going back to a a different type of wide receiver uh, Brian Edwards uh, out of South Carolina now on the Las Vegas Raiders no longer the Oakland Raiders Uh, one of three that they took in this draft this year obviously they they took uh, Henry Ruggs top half of the first round so he looks like to be you know the feature wide receiver in that offense I I remember that day one everyone's like well I guess we have to adjust our rankings if we were low on Ruggs for whatever reason we have to be higher now because he was going to be the dude and then Day two comes around, they, they get Brian Edwards, and then they add, you know, whatever he is, a quarterback, wide receiver. I, I don't really know what he's going to be. Lynn Bowden Jr. coming out of uh, nowhere in just a huge way, being the quarterback at times for for Kentucky, just a crazy, crazy playmaker in college. I mean, he's going to be a running back slash wide receiver, but I mean I, I don't think Hunter Renfro is going to be the wide receiver one. If if anybody's going to be the wide receiver one for this team, then it's not really Darren Waller because he was really their lead receiver last year from the tight end position. Brian Edwards as the like a more true X type, being that 6'3" big body guy who can run 22 miles an hour on the field with pads. Uh he just has all the athleticism didn't get to put it on display, because, you know, the the combine because of an injury training, but he looks like he's healthy already. Uh, are you high on Brian Edwards? Yeah, I, I like him more. Um, he, he's continually
3: growing on me. I, I'm not a Rugs fan, just like how you're, you're speaking it out. Because NFL teams are drafting to help their offenses, not necessarily for fantasy. And if you want to look at fantasy, Edwards is the one with the biggest upside there. You know, Tyrell Williams is still a threat, so I don't know if it's going to be great this year. But I think you're talking year two, year three dynasty. I yeah. think Edwards is the best bet. I mean, he had bad quarterback play at South Carolina. That was a big reason and not a lot of volume there yeah. uh, why he didn't
2: thrive. Yeah, he, he had like basically nobody. I mean, in his final season, he had to deal with a a true freshman tossing in the ball that like I think averaged I think his adjusted yards per pass attempt. I'm just I'm pretty sure it was like five and a half yards. Like just just awful stuff. Like half of like a, what a good quarterback should get per attempt. Like that that's what he was kind of dealing with last year. In uh, the year before, they wanted to kind of push up Debo to get him drafted. Uh so he kind of took a back seat from a market share standpoint. But Brian Edwards was just dunking on people at age 17. Like he was a super young true freshman, absolutely annihilating people in September of his true freshman season. So I, I just I, I hope he really gets that X role, that alpha role. Henry Ruggs is gonna be a great NFL player for a long time, but to me, he's more of a Ted Ginn, more of a DHB field stretching guy who 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 really kills you like five, six times a season. Like like basically what he did Alabama, like he took receptions to the house when he did. And so I think that's going to happen. He's going to have some big splash plays. He's a great player if you play in best ball leagues where you don't have to submit a lineup. Henry Ruggs is that kind of guy, but Brian Edwards, he's like a he's like an Andre Johnson with, with, with better wheels. But uh, moving on to another guy I definitely like, I think we both liked and have liked for a long time, running back position. Who's your pick? at the nine slot in the, the too long named rookie hype draft
3: <laughs> uh deandre swift i mean he's a guy that you know in debbie i mean I mean you've played that for years travis is he was the guy for a while and you know maybe yeah. threatened with taylor but he was the guy and then all of a sudden isn't going the first round like ladder Toler, who i also like and you yeah. know acres get some hype like and he gets forgotten he's a three down guy fantastic hands great balance has the body He might not be an elite athlete, but he's good. You know, there's some things I think he could get better at, but he has a well-rounded game in the whole package. It's everything you want in a running back, and they can catch the ball because in fantasy, you get more points for reception than for a carry. And so those guys that can catch 50-plus passes in a season, which Stafford does dump it down to his running back a lot, this is the guy you want to see. And then plus, PFF ranked, and I I quote this all the time, and this is just their preseason rankings, PFF for 2020. They had Detroit as the 16th best O-line. That's sneaky decent there. So you have an opportunity, I think, with field stretchers and Marvin Jones and Galladay for him just to eat underneath. And people are just letting him go. And they're like, well, he's just this other back you know, they, that happens. Also the guys, it's like, man, I think he could be really good in fantasy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then you got a guy who blocks uh, on the edge at tight end, like TJ Hawkinson, like that's not even taken into account with that either. I, I think Swift is going to have success. And I like carry on Johnson. I liked him a lot, but man, he's just struggled to stay healthy, even back to his Auburn days. And he's missed 14 games in two seasons. Uh, they clearly wanted to draft a player that is going to be uh, safer and perhaps completely replace a carry on. So I like Swift right there for for you. And uh, Cam Akers, uh, I, is it maybe we're probably going to disagree on him? Uh, maybe not as much as we did on Antonio Gibson, but uh, Cam Akers is my pick here. I really like him a lot. I mean, coming out of high school, even. Uh, he was just the college recruiting darling. He was the like one of the top players in the country. It was him and Najee Harris and nobody else in that class. I mean, he was more of like a wildcat quarterback coming into college than he was running back. Uh, but he was used as the offense. It was him and almost nobody else because nothing else was working for Florida State for three years. Samori and Terry kind of came on strong last year and that worked out through the air, but man, it's really just K-makers and that offensive line was horrific. One of the worst in Division I football, yet he still added basically all 1,000 plus yards after contact this past season. So Somebody I really like in an offense that you know a year ago didn't look that great because I think they got too stubborn in their play calling more than anything for for the Rams. But he comes in and he competes with Daryl Henderson, who was really effective in college, but not. He, he looked like he was completely lost whenever he was on the field last year. And Malcolm Brown is not going to be in the picture. I don't I don't care how many people think that's going to happen. And really combined, Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson had a combined six receptions, so they're not going to be the feature back necessarily that the Rams are looking for cam Akers is that guy in my my opinion and him being running back 18 and dynasty right now seems a little low especially for a, a day two back but what what don't you like about cam Akers and his situation
3: man a lot we can spend a lot of time here travis um so <laughs> for for me cam Akers was my number one running back coming out of high school just like you were talking about i i saw so much explosiveness uh being an athlete but i think that's who he still is he hasn't learned in three years to, on his running back skills. The, the situation wasn't good in terms of him, like you know, his approach to the line of scrimmage, his footwork, his vision, anticipation. He'll, he'll he chooses to run over demons of backs when he could just like go around him and make a cut or <laughs> take on half a defender. There's so many things to his game where I was like, man, I just want I want to see more from UK makers, and it wasn't there. And and with him not being great behind the line and efficient and vision, all that kind of stuff. You want them to go to a good situation and the Rams O-line is bad. PFF has them ranked 25th uh, in the NFL. They were really bad the last year and a half, which I think might be tied more to Todd Gurley than the people want to talk about. They were like 31st, I think, the last year and a half in terms of how bad that was. And they've been beat up, but they haven't invested in that line either. Their best players, like 38, Andrew Whitworth, who's a left tackle. Like, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? So that aside you know, I, I think he's more athlete than running back. And, and and it's tough for me to see a guy develop like that. I mean, I think Jerk McKinnon and Christy Michael are very similar to Akers in terms of really good athletes, but they weren't great running backs. And then I like Darrell Henderson still. He, I I found this staff, this is amazing. I didn't even know this. He averaged 8.2 yards per carry in his career. That yes. is best in NCAA history. If you have a minimum of 300 attempts, that's better than Melvin Gordon and Nick Chubb and all these great runners. I mean, forever. He's number one. They had Gurley there. Maybe it didn't take him great, you know, start there. But, man, how is he not going to compete there? And he catches the football pretty well at at Memphis. To me, it just is a a storm of I don't see a great fantasy back in that situation. I see them both eating into each other potentially. And I just don't, I don't know. I'm passing on acres right now.
2: And that, yeah, that, that's fair. I think there there are definitely some questions with that athlete or running back uh, more than anything. And Daryl Henderson, we, I, I actually liked him as well coming out. I think schematically fitting the blocking scheme that the Rams have in place versus what he had at Memphis and versus 15 foot holes he had to run through at Memphis. It was just it was just a completely different game than what he was used to. And so maybe, you know, maybe he has some kind of better bounce back in, in year two. But when a team kind of speaks with the capital that they're doing this year, immediately after doing the same thing with Henderson just a year ago, it's like, eh, maybe we messed up. So I I don't know. I, I, well, it'll be interesting to watch. But I think as far as a day two back with the pedigree, with the consistent production despite a really bad situation in college, I think he's he, he's a, in a really good spot to do a lot better than uh, how he's currently valued in most fantasy football formats right now. That's that's really the thing for me when it comes to him. But we're going to get to a quarterback because I think we, we have to get to at least one one quarterback. And, and he's a guy I've loved and was my quarterback one for a long time in this class. Who's your pick here at 11? Uh, Tua.
3: I, I think Tua is evaluating him in his film. He's special. First off, I'm just going to say that just in terms of but just a player and you know, his situation coming to that national championship game as a true freshman, coming back and then getting sacked and then looking off the safety and hitting Devontae Smith for a touchdown. I was like, Oh my goodness, too. as a like, true too. freshman. <laughs> like before that situation. And and to me, that speaks volume to his mental capacity. And and for me, the number one thing that I've been taught that I've heard from coaches that I teach is mental processing is and, and the ability to to quickly figure out. Is that a stunt? Are they blitzing? Are they rotating their, their defenders there? He's open. Wait, he's going to lean here. I have to throw a little bit more inside or low. Like all of that is going through your head as well as the snap count, as well as your steps. It's insane. He's so good at that and accuracy that I don't know how he's not going to succeed outside of an injury. To me, I'm not going to play the injury game. You guys can do that and be a, a doctor. I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. But I think he's so good there. And then on top of that, I really like Miami. I spoke to that actually recently on Twitter. I mean, they ended this season. I mean, remember, they traded away their two best players. (laughs) And they're like, oh, whatever. And then they went, I think, five and three or five and four down the stretch with a young coach. They spent a lot in free agency. They had all these picks besides Tua, right? They got an offensive lineman in the first, second, fourth, and sixth round. They have Gesicki, Preston Williams, Parker, You know, it's warm weather. It's not cold weather. All of that combined, it's like, man, I could really see Tua thriving there.
2: Yeah, I I think so. And really, a lot of people forget that he was just the, it was tank for Tua. You know, it was like he was going to be the number one overall pick until Joe Burrow threw 60 touchdown passes and Tua got hurt. And then he was still a top, top 10 pick anyway, because he was just so stinking good when you put up just from a number standpoint his profile last year like per game numbers per pass attempt numbers Tua was actually almost as impressive or even more impressive uh, from an efficiency standpoint you know his completion percentage wasn't as bonkers but his adjusted yards per, per pass attempt was 13.35 which is basically like top five in the last 20 years his touchdown percentage, he basically, one out of every seven pass attempts uh, just last year, went for a touchdown pass for Tua. Like So he was really highly efficient, really quick decision-making. I love that at the line. I mean, obviously, he had some good wide receiver play to, to deal with. He could just basically hit him on a quick slant, and they take it to the house. But at the same time... Uh, he he threw people open quite often. I think he's going to do that in the NFL. Right, right, and he's
3: done it for two years. I mean, you think of Burrow. Burrow did it. It was great for one year. I mean, you want a bigger sample size. That's always what's big. He did it for two years. And 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 one thing I love too is like he wants it so bad. Like if it's third eighteen, he's going to throw a nineteen yard pass. You know, yeah. like you know against the LSU in that game when they went down late in that game, he looked off the safety and threw. Ball down the sideline for Devontae Smith for an 80 yard touchdown because he's like, This is the only shot I've got to win. Like he's, and you want that in fantasy. You don't want the check down Alex Smith. You want the guy that's going to throw some some bombs or take chances. So, you know, I think in fantasy it's
0: huge.
2: Absolutely. And I think that's going to. That's going to happen really quick for him. He's going to be the key to Mike Gasicki breaking out. I think Gasicki is going to be, become you know the next big tight end one, I think, uh, for, for fantasy purposes. Uh, and I think it's going to be because he has Tua just dropping it right in the basket up the seam for him uh, just about every single uh, week pretty early. So I, I hope that we see a healthy Tua and we, uh, we see him uh, really quick because he's just... Too good. I really hope he uh, stays healthy as well because it was just kind of a freak injury too. It's not like it, you know, it's going to be this recurring soft tissue thing that uh, you know we're worried is going to pop up. To wrap up this draft, I- I'm going to take a tight end. This class is not good. This rookie class is not good for tight ends. But the Saints did draft Adam Troutman uh, and they did so by trading away all of their picks on day three to go get the guy. They were like, hey, you know, we don't care. We, we could have the entire set you know last day of our draft or we could have this this tight end who dominated you know at a really low level of play I think it was you know Dayton you know FCS level play but he basically put up like a 40 percent dominator rating as a tight end which is almost three times what you want to see in terms of hitting like a productive threshold for a college tight end college tight ends just don't produce but Troutman basically just broke every production metric as far as tight end production goes and so he does a lot of things as a receiver He's, he needs to get there as a blocker. But in today's NFL, being like a big slot tight end, I think it can plug in right away and be that. Uh, he's not going to have to be right away, obviously, because he's not going to be the, the the starter right away for the Saints. But he's probably the tight end to target. And he's going at like the very end of drafts, like everywhere, like undrafted in redraft leagues and, and way late. I think his, his current average draft position is like 175 ish. And, and drafts right now, tight end 27. For for a guy that you know is a day two tight end, that's pretty late. So do you have any thoughts on Troutman before we wrap this thing up?
3: Yeah, I got I got one crazy stat for you because I know you, you love your stats over there. So <laughs> the NFL combine, huge, you know, that's when players wanna you know perform well and show what they can. Adam Troutman had the third best three con drill and he weighed three or, or he weighed two six or two fifty-five and six five. For all positions, the third best for all positions. The guys that were in front of him weighed 207 and 206. Everyone, this guy's number three and he's a tight end. That's short area <laughs> movement skills. That's
2: freak like. Yeah. yeah, so that that's that's incredible. I did notice that. I didn't know it was that high. I knew it was really crazy for a tight end. And really, this was an off year for even like wide receiver times because a lot of the positions, because of the scheduling and the combine the issue, I, I could probably do a podcast just on this topic alone, but they were doing three cone drills at like 1130 PM. It was, it was bizarre. Like these guys have been in spandex for like 12 hours already. And they're like, Hey, by the way, we need you to like put up the best three coat time you've ever done at 1130. It was just a really weird situation, but still Adam Troutman to do what he did just from an agility standpoint is unreal. Thanks for joining me, man. This was fun just to kind of go through some targets, just to kind of wrap it up here. Again, we, we, we talked about T Higgins, Antonio Gibson, Denzel Mims, Jalen Rager, Michael Pittman Jr., Jonathan Taylor, Brandon Ayuk, Brian Edwards, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers, Tua Tungvaloa, and Adam Troutman uh, to round out the, the top 12 rookie targets that we're looking at and what would have been rookie hype season had they actually been showing up to camp's around this time of year but nick you want to plug anything else before we go
3: no i guess just if anyone's interested in any of the the stuff that i work on uh at underscore nick whalen just hit me up and i'll and i'll uh shoot you guys links and stuff but no thanks for having me on this is fun this is uh one it was fun to catch up with you both on and off air. but two, i love all these stats man you guys are crushing it over the road of is i didn't (laughs) like so some of these stats i haven't even heard of but i want to you know figure out more about them honestly
2: yeah, man. I mean, we love our, our numbers over here. And I, I do, I mean, I was a film guy first and just kind of dove into the numbers to kind of inform and or reinforce the film aspect of it. I love mixing it together and just kind of building a, a complete picture, if I can, of what a, a prospect's going to look like. But I just got to say... Listeners, if if you're still around for this section of the pod and you haven't tuned out because I kind of wrapped up the show already, uh, I just want to say thank you for you know just getting the show already over five thousand downloads through the first three episodes. Just incredible, a new podcast. Obviously, this is my third podcast. I'm not a, a rookie here, but really appreciate the support. And anytime you can just. Uh, I'll leave a rate and review. That helps too. And if you have a question, always say this, but put a question in your your rate and review that, that you leave wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll get it here on the show uh, in a mailbag episode here soon. But uh, just was blown away as I was kind of digging into the the show numbers this week. So really appreciate that. I mean, Nick and I would just be talking at air anyway, but uh, we want to share share the goodness and share, share the the football nerdiness uh, that that we love. So, thanks again for making this show awesome. But, looking forward to many, many more episodes here soon. But, definitely reach out to Nick at underscore Nick Whalen and myself at FF underscore Travis. And we both have underscores in, in our Twitter handle for some reason. That's because we're special. Yeah, that's that we'll go with that. But, reach out to us anytime just to talk some college football, NFL. We're glad to do it. Looking forward to many more episodes of the College to Canton podcast. But anyway, until next time, you guys stay safe, stay well, and keep enjoying some fantasy football. And hopefully we get some real football here soon.
1: This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal
0: From self-help books to meditation, we work hard to find peace of mind. Xfinity Home helps you rest
3: easy with a total home security solution. Installed by experts and powered by secure and reliable Xfinity Wi-Fi, you'll get 24-7 professional monitoring with fast response times and real-time alerts, like when doors and windows are opened. Rest easier with Xfinity Home. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash home security. Restrictions apply. Residential
1: customers only. Requires compatible high-speed internet. Professional installation required.